0: School teachers, uh, if we're in the ministry, if we own a business, it makes no difference. We're all here for the same reason. We are the family of God, we are here to represent Him in the wonderful distribution of his grace to every person that is breathing oxygen on the planet today we all need Jesus, can I hear an amen okay, that's why we're here, now I want you to do me a favor, I'm going to pray, let's lift our hands, if you've never lifted your hands it's just kind of the sign of surrender uh, both here on earth and also in heaven to Jesus, the Bible says that, that we lift up holy hands uh, without anger without malice, just because we know Jesus is pure, and so Father this morning we give you all the glory we give you all the praise, and today, we are your children. We're not trying to be anybody that we're not. We're not trying to put on any kind of an air, a mask, or an identity that doesn't belong to us. Today, we are a bunch of people who need Jesus. And we do ask you, Father, to fill us with your presence today. We're asking you, Lord, to come and and move in our midst and to use us in the city. Lord, our vision uh, is your vision. Our walk is your walk. Our light is your light. Our dream is your dream. And today, Jesus, we're so grateful that we get to spend the years of our life serving you and your purposes. and, and, And experiencing what it's like to see people transformed by Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Father, today... This is all about you, and and this is all about you, Jesus. We're not trying to take any of the glory. We want your name to be lifted up. And so we pray for every church in the Denver Metro. We pray that the pastors would preach with passion and anointing. We pray that the altars would be full. We pray that the worship would be anointed. And we pray, God, that your name would be lifted up like a banner across the state of Colorado. And with all the craziness happening in the world today, there's one thing that is consistent and that is stable. And that is the powerful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you are our anchor today. You are our Father today. You're the one that we look to. And we love you. And we give you all the glory. And we give you all the praise. And now, Pearl Church, I need you to shout and clap your hands. Come on. And tell Jesus you love him. Morning, come on, come on, church. Woo! God is good, Amen. All right, give your neighbor a high five, and you can be seated. And uh, hey, it's good to see you today. Um, a couple of things. First of all, um, again about the dream team meeting tonight. Tonight's not the one to miss. We are going to be talking about the next year or maybe a couple of years of the of the church. Um, we are experiencing um, some wonderful things in the church right now that I believe are the result of, first, just the grace of Jesus. Second, a lot of hard work by a, a lot of wonderful people. And uh, I believe that we're in a city that is hungry and thirsty to know God. And there's a reason why uh, 18,000 people move here every single month. There's a reason why if you were to go visit the, the u hall uh, center. they'd get on their computer and they would tell you that every single day there are 1,500 moving trucks in the queue of people moving to Denver, Colorado every single day across the country. I happen to believe, I'm, I'm one of those guys that just happens to believe that God arranges and aligns things during certain seasons so that He can move in people's lives in a more significant way. I believe that Denver is strategic for God in the country. Uh, Because we're in the center of the country and as long as we keep Jesus as the center of our lives, he's going to use us. Can I hear an amen? All all of that is real. We're in a new series this morning uh, that um, I call The Cause. And we're talking about the nine causes, the nine reasons why Jesus Christ came to earth. And uh, as I get going here today, I want you to just thank Pastor Asim and Pastor Donna for their great words the last couple of weeks. Okay, they preached with anointing. Um, um, our, our messages, most of them are on podcast on iTunes. You've got to look them up, and then it takes about a week for those to get onto the website. But you can hear their messages on iTunes today if you haven't heard them. So in, in our series... Uh, There are nine reasons why Jesus came to earth. Now, how many of you are glad and happy that he came for you? Let's just start there, okay? Uh, Now, I don't know if any of you remember what life was like before Jesus. It doesn't matter if you had a job or didn't have a job. Can I just tell you that life with Jesus is the most fulfilling thing that you're ever going to experience, how many of you appreciate the grace of Jesus? Come on, you, you're there, right? All right, now there's nine of these. The first one is obvious. The first one is that Jesus came for people. The second one is uh, the cause of freedom. Pastor Esteem talked about the cause of freedom. Uh, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Free to experience the things of God. Free to be in God's kingdom being used by him. Free to be put in a place where our hearts can be opened up and God can begin to work on us so that we can grow and so that we can feel change and we can have momentum in our lives. And, and uh, we bring the things that are broken to him and he puts them back together. And actually, biblically, Jesus actually puts things back together better than they were before they were broken, but that's a whole nother message. Because, because before you were broken, you didn't have a message, you didn't have a testimony, but now you did. So when God puts you back together again, you're actually better than you were before you were broken. So we did the cause of love and people, we did the cause of freedom, and then last week we did the cause of finishing strong, and finishing the mission. Uh, and today, number four, uh, we're going to do the cause of truth. Now, truth is an interesting word in Scripture. And this is really important because when I say truth, I'm not talking about the intellectual discussion that takes place between two people when they argue over over an issue, whether that is a biblical issue, a political issue, or anything else. When I talk about truth, the biblical definition of truth, which I'll give you here in just a minute, is the personification of Jesus. In other words, that Jesus is ultimately truth. So whatever Jesus says is truth... Whatever Jesus does represents truth. Whatever Jesus asks us to do is the fulfillment of truth because he embodies truth. There are three words in Scripture that are used for truth. So you've got truth, and then you have the person of Jesus, Who so Jesus is truth in the New Testament, and the third one is light. Light is always synonymous with truth. So in the cause of truth, I'm not talking about winning an argument. I'm talking about experiencing Jesus. Are you there? I'm not talking about an intellectual discussion where one person wins an argument. I'm talking about experiencing Jesus. And in experiencing Jesus, truth begins to take shape. And it's not in an outline, it is in a person. It doesn't happen in an understanding or in in a knowledge that you now possess. Truth um, becomes real in a person as he begins to transform your life from the inside out. Jesus is truth. Now here's a couple of verses we'll start with today. Um, 1 John chapter 1 verse 6. So I'll be pulling the word light out. And using that as we go along here. Um, If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. So, fellowship with Jesus, darkness, hypocrisy, and truth. If we claim to have fellowship with Him but we walk in darkness, what does it mean to walk in darkness? To walk in darkness can mean that maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you say you do, or perhaps you know who Jesus is, and you go to church, and you do your best, but yet you don't receive any of the things that actually bring freedom in your life. Or perhaps um, we live in darkness because we we refuse to believe because we're broken that, that we actually have a purpose. God created us for a purpose, and He designed each one of us specifically so we could fulfill a purpose. So maybe we reject His purpose. Because to reject his purpose is to not live in the light. Because the truth is you have a purpose. And God wants you to fulfill that purpose. So 1 John 1 verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship or relationship with him, but we live in darkness, we lie. We don't live out the truth. Now the gospel of John chapter 12 verse 37 and then 44 through 50. Verse 37 Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. Verse 42, yet at the same time, um, um, even among the leaders, uh, they believed him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Whew. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I, I kept coming back to that one particular verse. And I, I, think, I think we could probably do an entire day just on that, on that verse. I think that's probably the most powerful thing that I've read all week. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Verse 44, and then Jesus cried out. And in the Greek, it means he made a ruckus. In the Greek, it's it's it is a when he says he cried out, it means he he literally there was in a there was a moment where he just turned around, and I don't want to say he he lost it because Jesus doesn't lose it, but he turned around and he wanted to make sure that everyone that was in in uh, the distance of his voice could hear him clearly. And I'll tell you why here in just a second. So Jesus cried out, "Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only." but in the one who sent me. Verse 45, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. And I have come, everyone say he has come, okay? I have come into the world as a light or truth so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. The will of God and the heart of God is that all of us move out of darkness in every area of our life and into the light of Jesus to fulfill all that God has purposed for us to do. So verse 45, again, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I've come into this world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now, so Jesus is finishing something here. This is the last public ministry of Jesus before he made his way to the cross. So Jesus is with a group of people and he turns around and this is the last moment where he will publicly address anyone from here forward. He only deals with his disciples and then he goes to the cross and to the resurrection. This is his last public moment. Jesus is in transition. Now I don't know if any of you have ever been through seasons of transition. I'm sure that most of you have. Seasons of transition are not easy. Seasons of transition bring kind of a reality to you in everything that you're doing. Whenever I've been in a season of transition, we call it the T word because that's how difficult it can be. The T word. What are they doing in their life? Well, they're in the middle of the T word. Transition. What transition does is it forces you to decide what you really believe or it causes you to narrow down your options it forces you to think about who you are and what is important to you and then as you do that during seasons of transition you make decisions based upon what is really important transition actually changes the way that you view your future because you're making critical decisions. Transition actually changes the way that you speak and the, your language. Because you have, your language has now been reduced down to what is the most important things in your life. I've heard people in transition say things like, I'm making this decision for my family. That is a huge transition word. I'm making this decision because every other door has been closed and I believe this is God's will. I'm making this decision because of a, of a career. I'm making this decision. So what happens in seasons of transition is that you feel the pressure. You, re, you kind of reduce all of the chaos down to some things that are really important. And you begin to walk those out. So Jesus is in a transition. And what he does is he turns around and he, and he addresses this group, group of people. And he says three things that are very important in this portion of scripture. And he says, look, before I go to the cross, there are three groups of people here. And he puts them into categories. He says, there are those of you here that will never believe me no matter what I do. There's a group of people here that believe in me, but you don't have the guts to admit it. And there's a group of here who believe me, and you confess it, and your lives are being going to be transformed. And his desire His desire is that all of the folks listening, that everybody gets into the last category, but they can only get there as he walks to start his journey to the cross. They can only get there if they come into the light. Only truth can change your destiny. Emotions can't change it. Feelings can't change it. Moving across the country can't change your relationship with Jesus. There's nothing that can impact your life more than truth. But I'm not talking about the intellectual argument of whether or not God exists. I'm talking about truth being personified in grace. Grace is the face of truth when you need it. Grace is the face and the person of Jesus when you make a mistake, when you're in transition. So Jesus goes, I want all of you to be here But you're not going to get there unless you come in to the light. Now let me define light just for a minute. Uh, Light and truth are synonymous in scripture. Light is the acknowledgement of truth in the room. So if if you have been enlightened about something, you know, in in the last few minutes, then truth came in to your context and enlightened something for you so that you can see it. But light has to be acknowledged. So if truth is in the room, it can be there, but you don't have to acknowledge the fact that truth is in the room. It's an an acceptance of what is unchangeable. Truth is accepting what is unchangeable. So there are some things you can't change. Jesus loves you, can't change that. Jesus died on the cross, can't change that. Just for you, can't change that. Jesus created you with a purpose in mind. That's never going to change. He knew your name He knew your name before you were in your mother's womb. Can't change that. Jesus is the savior of the world. Can't change that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Can't change that. So truth is the acceptance of things that are unchangeable. And the single greatest catalyst for change in existence. Light changes things. Light reveals things. What does does light do? Light reveals things. So if you have a teenager and you go into your teenager's room and the light is off, you can believe that the room is clean. And then when you turn the light on, you know, it's like the, t- the tornado that hit Costco a couple years ago landed in your child's room. And as long as the light's off, you can believe whatever you want. And not that I've ever experienced that. I just want you to know that for the record. My, my children are the tornado. Um. It reveals things. You see things. It transforms things. If I take even this shirt, and I take this shirt and I lay it out in the sun, and the sun hits it all day long, it will change the appearance of this shirt. It, the, the light has properties in it that, that physically change the physical makeup of things in a, in a way that it, tra- it can transform it into something else. Light, light takes, um, takes on a guidance principle in Scripture. Jesus is the light. No, he is a candle to my feet, a candle to my feet. Jesus knows where I'm going, and, and when you don't know where to go, God will reveal your next step for you. He guides you. And if you don't, if you're here today and you have to take a step and you don't know where to go, there's a doctrine in scripture um, that talks about how um, he literally will, will, will open up for you, light the next step. He just he will give you the next step. You may not have all of the steps, but He will give you the next step. So He guides you, and it produces life. Light comes down from, from the heavens, and it hits the earth, and we have vegetation, and we have life, and, and so light reveals things, it transforms things, it guides us, and it produces life. And in Scripture, Jesus is light, because Jesus is truth. Now... With all of that in mind, let me give you, let's talk about these three categories of people. Okay, so these three categories of people, the first one is people who refuse to believe. Verse 37, even after Jesus performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. They still would not believe. Now, I've said this before, but I I think that there's something inside of humanity that, that just is, frustrates us when we're faced with something that's different. When when Jesus, like, let me put it this way, Christians or religious people in that sense are the only people in the world that can have a miracle happen and not believe it. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about Christians. I did a message last year, maybe you remember, on Moses. Moses is standing in front of a burning bush, and the burning bush begins to give him instructions. And Moses argues with the bush. The lesson is, if a bush talks to you, do not argue. Just don't. You think of Adam and Eve. Um, a- Adam and Eve, um, they, they knew God. They walked with him in the garden, but they still disobeyed him. If Jesus was to come along, and if you're a scientist and you have a powerful microscope, and Jesus was to come along and sign his autograph to every single atom in the universe, so the farther down that you go with your microscope and and you're so famous and you've got your science and you get down and you get a picture of the atom, and on the atom, when it appears in your microscope, you see the name in beautiful cursive, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you're going to love him. There's something inside of humanity that, that wants to take knowledge and call it Christianity, but knowledge is not Christianity. Let me, let me put it like this. We have this idea that we're supposed to um, convince people that God exists. We have this idea that we're supposed to debate on whether or not God exists all the time. And I'm not defunking or I'm not trying to put down apologetics because apologetics are important. But Scripture tells us that we're already supposed to know that God exists just by the fact that we're not flying off the earth right now. And the very fact that that, that science science only leads back to God, it doesn't lead away from God, you know? So we're supposed to understand that just by the the heavens and the ocean and life and trees, and, and we're supposed to already know that. So Scripture doesn't do a lot of what we call apologetics in that sense. What Scripture does is Scripture wants to talk about who Jesus is. So we're going to talk about who Jesus is. That's where scripture goes. But it doesn't go to apologetics. Because the most transformative thing in your life is not you believing in God. It's experiencing his love. God's sole desire is not to prove his existence. But for man to experience his love because then they will believe. It's love that transforms, it's not knowledge. Love does something inside of us that knowledge cannot do. I know people who did not believe in God and had an experience with God's love and they were transformed, done. Can you explain it? No, I can't explain it. Can you show me how mathematically, no. U plus Jesus equals love. There's your math. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, His love surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3 3.19, his love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the entire measure of the fullness of God. So this is not about an intellectual thing that that we're trying to deal with here to understand how things work in heaven. We're never going to know. The Bible says that for now we see through a glass dimly, but someday we're going to know everything just as God knows everything about us now. And that's so important because he's the only one who knows everything about us. He's the only one. He's the only one that knows your thoughts. He's the only one that knows your desires. He's the only one that truly knows your dreams. He's the only one that really knows your hidden sin and your mistakes. He's the only one. And so he loves you so much that he he loves you not not because of how wonderful we are, because we're not wonderful. He loves us in spite of ourselves. That's grace. Jesus loves you, and he wants you to know that that is not just a knowledge thing. It's, it's, it's much more than that. So I had this friend of ours, and she's, she's a wonderful girl. She was here for a number of years and then moved out of the state. And uh, she was here at the beginning of the church. And she helped and she served and she had been through a lot in her life. All right, a test. Who has been through a lot in your life? Just a little, <laughs> let's try it again. Who has been through some stuff in life? Okay, how many of you hope that you can you not go through stuff for, for at least another four or five years? Come on, who wants to avoid the stuff? Okay, she had been through some stuff, but she had a knowledge of who God was, and she had a knowledge of church. So she wanted to go to church to check it off the box. She wanted us to be her pastor because she grew up with a youth pastor and knew that, we were, that she needed a pastor. So she's got church, she's got a pastor, and she knows that she needs to serve. All three of those things are good. One day, about six months into the journey, we're having a planning meeting at Starbucks. My wife and I are sitting down with her and we're planning something out. And my wife and I said something that we say all the time, okay? And it's, it's not just christian It's not. It's the, it's the honest-to-goodness truth. We, we tell people all the time that we love them. I want you to know right now, we love you. If that's difficult for you and awkward, just get over it. Your pastor loves you, okay? But we turned to her, and um, as we're closing up the meeting, now, she had been even-keeled, sweet, nice, responsive, But as we left Starbucks, as we were putting stuff in the bag, I turned to her, Donna's standing next to me, and I said, hey, we love you, we'll see you tomorrow. Donna goes, love you. Many of you have heard my wife say, love you. And she stopped, and she snapped. It was the most uncharacteristic thing we'd experienced. She turned to us, and she just kind of stopped. She put her hand on, on the table, and she goes, she goes, she goes, you don't even know me. How can you love me? You don't even know me. How can you love me? And it and it threw us back because we were we were so like taken back. At first I thought she was joking until I looked into her eyes and I realized she was serious. I said, "What do you mean?" She says, "You don't know me. How can you love me?" Because I've been through so many things she started to talk about all the stuff that she'd been through. She says, "How can you how can you love me? I don't I don't feel like you love me. I think you're lying." There is a difference between being loved and feeling loved. Now, as hard as this is in Christianity, we have to learn how to go from feeling loved all the time. Has anyone in the room today ever not felt loved in any moment? And, and you said to yourself, if my husband would just show up with flowers and chocolate and a new watch, I would really feel loved. Have you ever been there before? Okay. You know, in our marriage, we had a little weird, strange kind of a marriage for the first nine years in youth ministry. Because when everybody else takes a vacation in the summer, I don't. Youth pastors go on missions trips, and youth pastors get ready for youth camps, and youth pastors are, are buying games, and youth pastors are planning. The first nine years of our marriage, I missed our, just, just women, ladies, just you feel this. I missed the first nine anniversaries in our our marriage for nine years. Do you know why? Because we're preaching the gospel in Mexico. Because future youth pastors should never have your wedding during missions trips month. All youth pastors should have winter weddings and you will always be there for your anniversary. I called her from Mexico. I called her from Brazil. I called her from Fiji and Tonga. Sounds rough, but it was it was rough. It was rough. It was rough. Fiji and Tonga. Um, I called her from Romania uh, twice. I called her. I missed our first. And I remember one time I called her on the phone, and uh, we were somewhere in the world with a team of teenagers, and and it was like it was like it was like twenty bucks a minute. It was just crazy. And so I'm on the phone with her, and I said, "Happy anniversary." She says, "You know, you really didn't have to call me." And I said, "No, it's our anniversary." And she goes, "The time difference—you didn't really have to call." I said, "No, I wanted to call." She says, "No, it's 20 bucks a minute. Why did you call?" And I think, well, don't you love me?" Is it our wedding anniversary? She says, "Listen, I know you love me. I am being loved." I, regardless of where you are or how I feel on any day, I know that you love me. And so what you're gonna do is when you get home, you're gonna take me out and spend a ton of money. It's gonna equal how much you spent on the phone call. So if it's 20 bucks a minute, it's gonna be 20 bucks. You see what I'm saying? That's how much money you're gonna spend. I'm saying, okay, honey, I love you. Because there's a difference between being loved and feeling loved, and if you always have to feel loved, you will never understand Jesus' love because He loves you beyond your feelings. He loves you past how you feel or what you think. He just straight up loves you and you can't change it, it's unchangeable. Jesus loves you, can't change that. That's the truth. Jesus is truth, Jesus is light. Some people coming into the light means now that young lady had a revelation of how God loves her in the next season of her life. She thought differently. She went on a little journey and ended up in the right place. And I said to her, with my wife standing there, I said, I said look, you may, not, you may not feel that we love you, but given time, when you see the faithfulness of this couple standing in front of you and how we're not gonna give up, we're gonna love you whether you want it or not, because some people just wanna resist his love. Some people are so hurt and so broken that being loved is hard for them. They don't want to be loved. They don't want to admit that they need love. They would rather please other people and love other people and buy everybody a gift, make sure every party is perfect. But when it comes to their personal relationship with Jesus, they walk in darkness and they're living out a lie. Because they don't have fellowship with love. They don't have fellowship with Jesus who loves us beyond how we feel, how we think, or whatever's going on during the day. Do you just, are you excited to know that Jesus Christ loves you today? He's love. He's perfect love. He's the truth and you can't change it. The second group of people is this. The second group of people are people who have have faith, but they won't admit it. They're the faith, but I want just to read this to you one more time because I think this is so good for they loved the praise of man more than the praise of God the praise, the praise of God, what does that even mean well I, I, know, I know this I, I know this I know that getting praise from man feels good true if any of you ever played settlers of Catan don't, don't because it, it destroys families. It breaks up teams. People who work together, the settlers of Catan. Uh, you play a game and you win. I, when my kids were little, I trained them to clap for me and not their mother. I'm going to win and you clap. And, and they just clap. It feels good. You get a trophy, it feels good. You win a race, it feels good. But it, it's, it's interesting to me, it's interesting to me that mankind lives their life and they base their success on how few failures that they have. I think it's a sad testimony to think that mankind lives its life basing its, their life's success on, on how many failures they do or they do not have. Because God does not look at you and count your failures against you. And I don't know why this, I don't know why this is coming to me today, but I think it's because in my journey to church this morning, to the pulpit, I talked to five guys this morning that all play golf, five. Golf is one of those games based on whether or not you hit the mark. And every time that you don't hit the mark, your score of failure goes up, right? I'm not, I'm not a golfer. Like, I try. Guy, I don't have the right clothes. I mean, we're playing golf. I show up in fishing waders. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And and a hat with a, what are we, there's a pond over there. Can we, And so, you know, if you, if you, if you hit the ball and the ball goes out and, and you hit the mark, then you're okay because it's a, it's a par five. So it should take you five times to get it in the hole. But, but if it takes six that's a bogey. If it takes seven, then that's a double bogey. If it takes three, that's a triple bogey. I'm a send bogey. A send bogey is a hundred, if you didn't know that. I'm a, I'm a, but Jesus, see, this is what mankind does. Mankind is out there flailing around trying to hit the mark. And every time they don't hit the mark, every time they fail and they don't hit the right trajectory, we base our success and our fulfillment on, our, on how many failures we do not, where we do or do not have. I can't, I can't be that guy. I, I can't drive the cart right, I, I ran into the roses, I, I, I hit a hundred times I threw my club once, I got angry and I'm a pastor and someone was shocked that my anger you know you know golf brings anger out of you right if you didn't know that um, I, I don't, I, I, it takes me for every game that you play, I play three I live on ibuprofen for three days after the game is over and Jesus still loves me, you see what I'm saying I, I fail once in a while in my marriage Jesus still loves me, I don't talk to my children right every single day Of my life until they're older and they look back and go, My dad never said anything wrong, but Jesus still loves me. I've made, I've made, had bad attitudes, and Jesus still loves me. Are you, are you with me? (laughs) Jesus, Jesus still loves me. See, what brings the praise of God is not what brings you the praise of man, and this is important. When you're fighting for your marriage, God applauds you. When you give your shame and your condemnation to Him, He shouts from the grandstands. When you fail and receive forgiveness, He's high fiving up in heaven. Moses and Elijah, and Abraham, and they're up there high fiving. They've got your face on their jersey, right? They got—they they like got your name just all over. When you finally surrender your future to God's purpose, he's sending praise. Every time you keep believing for a child or a grandchild, he is um, saying to you, well done. When you're at the end and you can't go on and you turn to God for strength, you can hear him shouting, I've got your back. When the light goes on and you realize that God... God's love is ultimately the motivator for change. He's sending you his praise. When you finally understand that God's love is not based on a feeling, I want you to know God is giving you praise. We live for the praise of God. Somebody say amen. Not the praise of man, not the addictive Not the euphoric praise of of the intellectual, I've won, I defeated, my argument was right, my shot was better, my mind is sharper, I'm better than you, I got the promotion and you didn't. We live for the praise of God. And the last one, people who believe and they live differently. And I'll end here. When Jesus finishes up his public ministry, he doesn't say, all of you should have believed me. He says, you know what? I've been right every time. You people are crazy. Why did I even come to earth for you? You know what he did? He stood up and the last thing he said was this. As he went to the cross, he said, when you look at me, you see God. When you look at me, you see the one who sent me. And I don't want you to live in darkness. What he said was, he said, I came in their, in their mind, in their Hebrew culture, in their language. What he was saying was, when you look at me, you see the one who sent me. What he said was, I'm your savior. I am the incarnation of God. When you look at me, you see the one who saved you. I came here for you because I don't want you to live in darkness. Those of you who don't believe and those of you who are too ashamed to admit that you believe and all of you here that do believe, I want all of you just to look at me as I walk to the cross right now. We just had the triumphal entry and here I am, I'm going to the cross. I want you to look at me and I want you... And he says, look, he says, when you see me, you see the one who sent me. And in their, in their world that meant I came as your Savior to save you and to bring light into every area of your life, to lift the darkness off of your existence, to give light to depression, to bring truth to your marriage, to bring hope to your your prison. I am the one who came for you and that's the message and then he turned and he walked and he went and he met with the disciples and then he walked to the cross he was crucified and resurrected that's that's how you that's how you that that's how you accept truth you have to know that Jesus the light of the world came to earth for you Because he loved you that much. For God gave his only son so that we may not perish, but we might have eternal life with him. And the darkness is gone. Bow your heads with me and let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I know today, I know that right now in this room, there are people who are living under a canopy of darkness. And this is what that means, Jesus. There are people here today who have never experienced the praise of God. They don't know what it's like to have God in their corner. They don't know what it's like to have God shouting their name. They don't know what it's like to have Jesus wearing their jersey. They don't know what it's like to have God move in and and lift discouragement and to give them light and direction. And this morning, Father, I pray for every person here that we would first recognize the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus who came to earth, God in the flesh, for me, for them, so that we could be forgiven and live free of condemnation. And I'm grateful, Father, for what you're doing in their hearts right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you know that this message was for you. And you need to know Jesus as the incarnate. God who loved you so much that he gave his life for you. Your relationship with Jesus just kind of has a lot of weighty sort of darkness to it. You've never experienced life and and freedom before. If you're here today and you know that you've got to get your life right with Christ, this is a huge moment for you. And when I count to three, we're going to end this quickly because I'm out of time, but when I count to three, if you need Jesus in your life For the first time or in a brand new way, he came for you. When I count to three, lift your hands. One, two, three. If that's you, lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else need to receive Christ? Jesus. anybody else.